Hey everybody, welcome into an episode of Podcast Rebellion. Uh, you, typically I'm joined here by Whiskey Wednesday, but uh, because Whiskey Wednesday doesn't know a lot about baseball, I asked uh, Scotty to join us. Uh, Scotty has helped, is a friend of the blog, has has contributed a good bit in the past, uh, and is more a friend of Ole Miss baseball. So definitely an authority to be able to bring in. I, I don't know if you want me to call you an authority, but uh, yeah, has, has been um, a season ticket holder for nine years. And uh, that all changed this year. Scotty, uh, why don't you tell your story? Yeah, so uh, you, if you've yeah, – in the previous Twitter verse, I was also uh, on the blog known as Smeargle. And um, I've been a frequent uh, sitter in left field. Uh, usually you can find me uh, behind a grill uh, in one of the left field barbecue spots. Grilling, dancing. Correct Sorry, correct me if I'm wrong. But wasn't there actually one season where you made like every home game? Uh, I want to say that was probably 2018 or so. It was like, or it was prior to having children. That's for sure. Yeah, so yeah, that, sure, that yeah. definitely changed some things. Um, but yeah, so I've been uh, having season tickets since 2013. I actually didn't join that um, that little left field spot until the Super Regionals of 2014 against Washington. When you know when we when we headed to uh, Omaha, so. Felt like I was a pretty uh, nice little good luck charm, if you will, to punch our ticket to Omaha after just joining that spot. And uh, yeah, I loved my spot out there. But circumstances change, um, you know, families grow, times change. And uh, this year I will not be a season ticket holder, uh, despite my best efforts. So it was a tumultuous journey for sure. Yeah, that's tough. Uh, You say despite your best efforts, like... What, what happened? So part of it has to be with just how the um, how the how the, the spots in left field are, uh, work in general. You've got one person who has all the tickets, and then you kind of buy in with that person who then divvies out the tickets. Well, you know it's nice uh, that you know one person's name is on it, but then that person is actually earning all of the loyalty points. So yeah. <laughs> I went through like you know eight years, seven years of not earning any. Uh, loyalty points. So, so concerned you've never attended a game, basically. Correct. Yeah, there's like I don't know who this guy is. Smirrel. Well, he's, he's a peon. Um, and so when it came time to opt in for season tickets in the grandstands, you know they got a uh, you, you pay up and um, then you get your seat selection window. Well, of course, mine was like the last like 30 minutes of the entire seat selection window process and they were of course sold out um of um reserve season tickets at that point and i just didn't really want to really want to go for general admission and i'm sure some people listening to this pod right now have probably been through the same thing and um you know initially the old miss ticket office was adamant about not uh giving refunds and uh that crumbled my cookies and ground my gears for sure uh so then as some of y'all have seen that you know they um I guess to accommodate these people who are still looking for reserve tickets, they constructed the obelisk uh, in in right field behind the student section out of plywood. And no, I'm sure I'm sure whatever rental company put that together did a did a great job and did exactly what Ole Miss baseball wanted them to do. Do you think Um, a few guys who used to set up tents in the Grove? Uh, possibly. Yeah. Like, Hey, who's got the biggest tent available <laughs> that sets up for like, 
you know, um, seven South or something. Um, but yeah. And, and well, what really got me was when they sent out the email, it was like a Google forum. They were trying to, I guess, get a feel for who all was actually interested in that spot. If they couldn't get grandstand spot spots, Hmm. they said the pricing would be equivalent to like the dugout, like the, the bullpen club, uh, behind home plate. I'm like, mm, what? I don't think so. <laughs> I'm not, not going to pay an extra, you know, umpteen hundred dollars a ticket to sit out there, you know, with kids, with my kids trying to, you know, get out there behind the students. So, um, I don't know. It just, it just felt very backdoorsy, kind of like let's get these people locked in, get their money, and then say whoopsie daisies, there's not a spot for you. It just, it just felt very kind of sleazy on the Ole Miss yeah. baseball side, but. Um, man, it's how it goes. And so I'll be, um, I'm sure I've already got the first like, uh, three weekends locked up just through some other friends of mine who've got tickets, but so I'll still be out there, still be cheering for them. Um, just probably not for the full entirety of games and not, um, grilling and chilling, if you will, in my usual left field spot. Yeah. Well, uh, sorry to hear that, man. I think that, uh, the, the games won't be the same without you. Well, and, you know, I'm not trying to, you know, prop myself up as some. <laughs> oh, there's that grill guy, man. He just makes the Swayze experience like a grill guy. I definitely do not want to make myself out to be like that way. But it, it definitely <laughs> will feel different. I think not sitting out there. But uh, well, you know, I mean, when I think of Ole Miss baseball, I think of throw it in the dirt and you you know the 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 Ole Miss fans you know there's always that guy grilling some brats yeah that's me yeah so so speaking of yeah so the the purpose of this podcast is to is for fans who haven't really been paying as much attention and are just kind of ready for baseball season which starts Friday I guess we've made it far enough uh, without saying that yeah baseball season starts Friday and um so Scotty and I are just sitting here. Uh, I'm drinking a beer. I think he's drinking a bourbon. Actually, which bourbon are you drinking? I'm on an Eagle Rare, actually. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, I love it. It's great bourbon. I love it. Great bourbon, great actually, price point. Actually, I, I can't get it uh, at the at the two liquor stores that are closest to my house that I go to. Uh, but they do have like Buffalo Trace for days. So I, okay. I like that, too. I'm, I'm happy with it. You're set up. Um, yeah. So – you know the the whole idea here is let's just kind of talk about from a high level what what we can expect about about this year and um, we'll get into the lineup preview and the rotation and bullpen and that sort of stuff uh, a little bit here coming up but let's first talk about expectations in general and I think that the whole Mike Bianco has to do X, Y, and Z and hasn't lived up to expectations. We both agree with those things, but I think that that's kind of like a tired thing for us to talk about for the 20th consecutive year. Um, So instead, I'd rather just kind of like talk about what your expectations are for this season. Yeah, like, so obviously the season feels a lot like every season prior. I mean, it feels like this has been a, uh, just a a, a record on loop. You know, you're returning a lot of bats. You're returning a lot of starters. The weekend rotation looks like kind of still up in the air, but it typically kind of seemingly figures itself out by SEC play. And I feel like, that's kind of where we are right now. And it, it, it seemingly happens like clockwork under Bianco. He, you know, he, he finds, and I'll credit him that he does find a 
a little – he seemingly finds somebody that was lost to the depth chart that maybe was a weekday starter that eventually works himself into like a Sunday starter and then becomes actually a pretty reliable you know, weekend rotation guy. Um, and I, just, I feel like that is, that's kind of the narrative every year. Um, you know, obviously lots of bats are back. It's going to, we're going to have an offense. And I think that's, it's tough to see the preseason hype be, um, despite the kind of up in the air weekend rotation that is there. But, you know, that's kind of what the story has been every year. Um, my expectations this year, you know, I feel like it's, you've got to, um, you've got to make it to Omaha at this point, like, especially with this much talent back on the field um, and the pressure really on Bianco. It's, it's, and I, you know, and tell me, you're more into basketball than I am. But so, I mean, I, I think it'd be pretty interesting is, you know, this is a long way down the road, but if Kermit's gone, does Keith Carter, you know, like how does this? I wonder. I wonder your th- How does the Keith Carter or how does the um, Kermit situation potentially affect a Bianco firing? I mean, would Keith Carter do? Would he fire two bigs, two big coaches in one season like that? I don't know. That's an interesting question. And not tired. You know, I, I just <laughs> mentioned that like a lot of the Bianco speculation is tired, but that's actually not. That's that's interesting um, because I gotta say that uh, a. Uh, on on tap for me is a podcast episode about who is our next basketball coach, uh, <laughs> because in my opinion that's that's over. Um, but no, uh, I think that's an interesting question. Um, I think that firing Mike Bianco is a really hard thing to do, uh, for sure. And I think that um, what I think has to happen. Uh, I, I don't necessarily know that Kermit Davis has a bearing on Mike Bianco, but the the season ticket sales are just like crazy good. Um, and I I know that there are other reasons for that outside of uh, the results in the postseason and all that sort of stuff. But I, it's just so hard to say like, hey, you're filling the stadium. We have to build it bigger so that, you know, the, the people can fit in and and you're also fired. Uh, that's, that's, that's <laughs> a really tough thing to do. Um, yeah. So I, I would say, um, my expectation is Omaha. Um, I, l- let me take a step back. My expectation is a super regional. I think that, uh, once you get to a super regional, it's a lot more luck focused. That luck has not unfortunately gone Ole Miss's way very often. Although I did go to Omaha the one time we went, um, but if if you look at the way this the schedule is really works for for Ole Miss, it's really in Ole Miss's favor. Um, s- super easy out of conference schedule. Sure, I'll just say that. I mean, like, if anything, that's a little concerning because I can't imagine they're going to experience much adversity at all until conference play starts. I'm sure they'll. I'm not saying they're going to go undefeated in conference play or anything like that. But in terms of like high pressure situations uh i if if they experience many of those in conference play this team is screwed uh and i don't think they're screwed because i think the the bats are just going to be incredible um but yeah so 
I, I, I honestly don't even know who the best opponent we play out of conference is. I'll just name them, and anyone who cares to do their research on these teams can. Charleston Southern, Arkansas. So we have a, a three-game uh, series against Charleston Southern, midweek against Arkansas State, series against VCU, two midweeks against ULM, series against UCF, midweeks against Memphis and Alcorn State, series against Oral Roberts, and then a midweek in South Southeastern Louisiana, and then conference play starts. Like, yeah, a lot of directional roast beef tech. Like, where I, are, I these, like, are I these real VCU, schools? Like, <laughs> right, and I know like VCU is sometimes good. I, I like, I, I'm not saying that these teams are total garbage or anything like that at all. I I haven't honestly paid enough attention to be able to say that. But but what I can say is like, it's not like we have a Louisville to start the year. Or you know something like that, where we can really say like, okay, let's let's figure out what is working and what's not working, and then refine those things until conference play. So I think there's a little cause for concern there. But the thing is, like, uh, the the baseball team misses Florida, Vanderbilt, and Georgia uh, out of the East. Georgia's not usually very good, but uh, I just mentioned them. Uh, and so you know, Florida and Vanderbilt are good. So then it's just a SEC West and Kentucky and Tennessee and South Carolina, which uh, all three of those are, are very winnable series. So it sets up really well to position themselves. And oh, and they're also preseason number five. Uh, yeah. So if if the people who do know a lot about baseball and, and say that are right, you know, things could really get pretty hot and, and go pretty crazy heading into the postseason. Uh, and then it's anybody's game. Um, I, I think this, this team is well positioned to make itself out of a regional and then it's super regional. Who knows? It, a lot of it's about pairing and for sure having, having and, the right pitchers and all that. And I think the, the tough part there is right. It's like, I mean, let's say you, let's say you, 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 you really, you know, wrap up your non-con, you know, really strong, maybe like one, two losses. Mm-hmm. And then, you're heading into, um, you know, you, you beat Auburn, you beat Tennessee, you beat Kentucky, you beat Bam. I mean, I'm, I'm going in order here. You beat South Carolina. Then you've got that slate where your next three or four weekends, well, really four or five weekends, you've got either your SEC West slate. That's just brutal. Um, yeah. Which if you go in hot and then you struggle against that competent, you know, seemingly more than average competent clubs I, you know the, I think the the eye test is gonna would, would potentially really hurt us now well, I mean, we we get state in in Oxford and you get um, you get a m in Oxford uh, but then you travel to Arkansas and um, LSU so but look think about think about this stretch April 21st starting april 21st you play state 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 arkansas 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 like that that will define whether this season whether this regular season is special or not yeah what a bizarre place to put the governor's cup i didn't realize that until (laughs) right right after the weekend you're like okay now 
now you two teams go to Pearl and play and fill and fill the house and like hear, hear lots of Rankin County, Rankin and Madison County people drink a lot of cheap beer and you know I mean the Governor's Cup always is 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 a hell of a time. It's a wonderful atmosphere, oh, yeah. great time. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that is a very interesting um placement for that game. So yeah, um, should yeah. be fun. Yeah. Um. So let's actually start talking a little bit about that lineup. Uh. Because I think that we're in agreement that if Ole Miss is going to make noise and go to Omaha or something of that caliber, it's because of the lineup. And I think that for anyone who's listening, uh, it'll become clear why. Um, So there are one, two, three, four, four second team all SEC player, uh, preseason second team all SEC players in the lineup and one first team all SEC the players who uh, are not preseason All SEC, one one was a freshman All American. That's TJ McCants, uh, and you know you just have a number of like very helpful players, even if they're not recognized as you know tops in the SEC or anything like. That. But I think we can actually go ahead and go down the order somewhat here. Um, now, I think the other stat that. Um, was really fun. And of course it was Ole Miss baseball Twitter out here, you know, Ryland feathers and putting people, making people mad online. I guess it was according to D ones, like top 50 in each position. There were only 10 schools that had a player in every, like that was top 50 in every position. And Ole Miss was one of those schools. Hmm. And then, you know, of course, the mentions were mostly Arkansas and State Family. <laughs> when are you going to go to Omaha, though? Right. So, um, anyway, let's go ahead. Yeah, like you said, let's ra- 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 run down the uh, run down. Yeah, the- so Bianco hasn't actually released an order yet. I mean, he won't even do that until, like, Friday afternoon. Um, but we're pretty confident on who will actually be starting where. Uh, and he has released a rotation, but again, we're going to talk about that in just a minute. Um, so really quickly running through it, and then we can just talk about kind of key points. Uh, we don't have to address every player, but Hayden Dunhurst at catcher, Tim Elko at first base, woo-woo, uh, Peyton Chatnier at second base, Jacob Gonzalez at shortstop, Justin Bench probably uh, starting at third base, Kevin Graham at left field, TJ McCants at center field, Hayden Leatherwood at right field, and... Uh, ben Van Cleve probably as DH. See, that's the beauty of this line. Like, even if you paid any like mild attention to the baseball season last year, you should hear those names like, oh yeah, I recognize that. Oh yeah, I recognize that. Yeah, I recognize that. So it's usually, you know, when yeah. you go through a lineup like this, you're like, who's that guy and where would he, where was he last year? You know, it's, right. but I mean, all those names as you go, as you, you know, talk to any casual fan from last year, you're like, huh. Yeah, I know that guy. Exactly, exactly. And I mean, you know, Tim Elko missed a significant portion of the year with that ACL injury. He's back. He hit a grand slam in the Oxford Regional. Like, uh, you know, a full season of uh, potentially even better Tim Elko. And like, I'm not... I'm not there. I haven't seen him play, but uh, you know, let's say that he's marginally better. Like that's amazing. Um, And Jacob Gonzalez is uh, unbelievably good. Um, So it'll be fun to watch him. Have you, uh, do you have any, like when you think about this lineup, uh, do you have any concerns? Is there anything that you kind of wish you could see? Um, 
I, I I'll be interested to see McCants. I think that's probably my biggest. Not I wouldn't call it a red flag, but like mm-hmm. you know, if if I go back to like Gray Kessinger's freshman year, he has his, you know, he goes through a great freshman year, has a little slump, and then his sophomore year for our call, he came back and just did not really, you know, it's it's interesting to what well, I'm interested to see like how the freshman will do on this like sophomore year um because the hype is there the expectation is there and that's you know typically when you can get a bit of the um oh shit yips get a bit of the yips and like mm-hmm. you you're, you have this pressure to like you said to improve right like like maybe tim elko has this pressure to imp- show yeah. some sort of improvement or growth Whereas like being being the same would be okay too yeah, yeah. um and so then you, that pressure turns into you know uh you know gripping and um tightening and tightening up and then all of a sudden you know in, instead of you know batting you know in your 300s where you're used to you're like in the 100s in the nine slot and then people are like why is he still in the lineup so um i i'm, I'm interested to see how McCann's does um the rest of the lineup man i feel i feel pretty good about it um i mean i know it's you posted some some stats here and um you know if you're a big metrics person you know on base percentage is super is super uh important oh yeah yeah i put that for everyone like I, <laughs> on base is my thing I, I i love on base actually uh it's funny that you mention um tj mccants because he led the team in on base percentage in conference games last season wow yeah yeah um well, actually, I, I, I take that back. Uh, he had a four-two-two on base. Jacob Gonzalez had a four-two-three. Oh wow! <laughs> well, good company. Too fresh. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, I actually, you know, it's funny. Like looking back on TJ McCants last year, I think that um, his general like narrative was really formed like mid-season. He he kind of like struggled and at and late in the year he struggled a little bit with like uh anything that was gonna like play down Mm -hmm. i I feel like he swung at stuff that would end up close to in the dirt um but when you kind of look at the the overall kind of takeaway his his year was really strong and uh, uh i haven't heard a ton out of fall ball um but one of the things that I've heard is he actually led the team in uh, in batting average uh, in the fall. So that's certainly encouraging hmm. to hear. Okay. Well, yeah, did not know that. So that is yeah. encouraging. Yeah, yeah. No, um, honestly, for me, the only thing, and like I'm not actually picking on the guy, uh, Ben Van Cleef at, D- at DH, um, uh, last year – he he would have been the best option we had um so i'm not like saying anything bad about him uh but i'm a little bit this has just always been the case with me like i'm always fascinated that dh which is a player that doesn't have to play a position on the field is like so consistently bad for mike bianco right like mm-hmm. it is it is consistently like <laughs> the worst average on the team mm-hmm. among among the starters and like i don't know it, it's one thing if the dh has a low average but you know can just like take one out of the park at slugging, any given point. high slugging or something yeah 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 but ben van cleave has been at Ole miss for two seasons albeit one of them shorted shortened for covid and has never hit a home run wow and so like i just 
I just wonder if – and he hasn't even announced that Ben, ben Cleave is starting. So I could be talking about this and like suddenly this is just totally wasted. But I just wonder if like a, a player with an upside that's a little bit higher may, makes more sense there. Um, mm-hmm. And maybe Ben Van Cleef becomes like a – a DH kind, I mean DH, <laughs> a pinch hitter pinch or something like situation, that, yeah, or, sure. or like a midweek guy, you know, something like that. Man, I mean, I'm looking at his senior stats here. I mean, 28 starts at DH, hit 255. I mean, that's 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 reasonable, but you know, yeah, you, you yeah. want your you want your like you said, you want your DH to have. Um, Way way higher, you know. I guess more stability maybe is the, is the better question. Like someone you like when they come to play, you're like, okay, like this is going to be a hit. This is going to be on base. This is going to be something. But um, or he's going to hit it out. Like uh huh. I, I I think that and and we're going to talk about this guy later. But uh, a best case scenario for Ole Miss fans is that Taiwan Malone is like a 250 hitter who hits 14 home runs as a D as a DH, right? Um. <laughs> I I don't have that expectation for him, and we'll talk about him in a few minutes. But like that type of player would be so interesting in this offense, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So just generally, like no real holes uh, um, among the starters, which is just an awesome position to be in. Everyone has SEC experience, and you know Hayden Dunhurst at catcher can just throw people out at second, which is. Or first, uh, which is which is really cool. And see, and I think that's the other crazy thing. When you, you know, tr- not trying to make this Bianca focus, but it's like every year we have a catcher that is that seemingly is just like becomes this like lights out catcher. <laughs> it's like, yeah. well, I guess Bianca can develop catchers pretty well. So yeah, it turns out, turns <laughs> out, yeah. So let's actually talk about the rotation because I think yeah, obviously that's much less settled than the lineup. Um, so for anyone who doesn't know. Gunnar Hoagland and Doug Nikhazy are no longer on the team. Uh, They were the Friday and Saturday night starters a year ago. Uh, Both were drafted. uh, Hoagland was drafted in the first round, unfortunately a little bit late because of his injury. And Nikhazy was drafted in the second? I think the second or the third. Uh, So definitely, you know, good to see that. Um, But that leaves tremendous holes in in the rotation. And... The Friday night guy is Derek Diamond, who was the Sunday starter for the first half of last year before ultimately losing that job and um, becoming a midweek starter who had some ups and downs uh, in in the postseason and came out big in the in the regional. But, you know, just ultimately wasn't the player that we had hoped as a freshman. He was amazing. He actually uh, he went all five innings in all four games he started uh, in that COVID shortened year. But last year walks were a problem, a five two six ERA, uh, just not the season that anyone really hoped for. It's, I'm sure he didn't hope for, for himself as well. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's kind of a blur to think about. I mean, I, I know. I obviously, if you were to tell me to name another pitcher other than Derek Diamond, I probably wouldn't be able to. But, um, and that's well, that's the kind of like rotation, right? We have, um, and even yeah. Derek Diamond. It's not like I can't remember. Like, there's no like, I guess like hi- highlights that jump out for me from last year regarding Derek Diamond. I mean, and right. So you can't really. And with that being said, you know, if he's the 
I guess like the, your top arm that's left. Uh, there's no harm in you know slotting down that Friday night starter and see how it goes these first couple of weeks during non-conference. I mean, I can't think of a single season where Bianco has not changed the rotation. It's you know like leading up to SEC play. Um, yeah, there was like, there consistent. was one uh, relatively recently. I don't remember who it was, but it was like the first time in ten years that Mike Bianco had had the same weekend rotation at the end of the season as he had in the beginning i mean wow. it, it changes a ton if you remember like i think that one of those one of the cooler stories was will klein like will klein was not a starting pitcher uh the at the beginning of the year when he ended up as the friday night starter um he started his first start or maybe his first significant start was in the governor's cup. And hmm. he pitched like a two Oh shutout or something like that. And then just took over Friday nights and, you know, was, was fantastic. Um, but uh, there are lots of stories similar to that in during Mike Bianco's tenure. So I mean, don't, I wouldn't pay too much attention to who these, who these starters are, but to your point, like I think Derek diamond is a fine pitcher and he has tons of potential, but it's not like, oh, cool, we have a Friday night ace. You know? mm-hmm. um, I actually expected John Gaddis, who's the Saturday pitch, Saturday starter, to step in and be that Friday night ace for Ole Miss. Uh, he's a – for those of you who are like, wait, who who is this person? Uh, the transfer portal was good to Mike Bianco uh, because John Gaddis was pitching at Texas A&M Corpus Christi last year in the – Southland Conference. Uh, he had a two-two-five ERA, pitched four complete games, um, and you know transferred in for his senior year to sort things. Just I guess to prove himself in a, a conference like the SEC. Four complete uh, games is that that's that's staggering. Like I, you know, yeah. because when I think of coach, when I think of uh, starting pitch like f- weekend starters under Bianco, I'm like. Five innings, please. Five innings, please. Right. I mean, I, mean I, I would say it's Southland Conference, right? Sure, so, sure, sure. So, you know, we don't know how exactly how it's going to translate over to the SEC. I wouldn't expect four, four complete games. But, like, it, it is a testament to his stamina and his ability to probably go deep in counts. Or, or I'm sorry, deep, deep in pitch counts. Um, and, you know, I think that – there's some potential there and maybe he starts as a Saturday night guy. Maybe and I'm not, I'm not in Mike Bianco's head, but maybe Mike Bianco says like, well, Derek diamond's been here and has done this before. So I feel more comfortable with him as a Friday night guy. And maybe John Gaddis has an opportunity to play his way into being that Friday night guy. Um, but is currently the Saturday starter. And then the last starter of the weekend rotation is Drew McDaniel. And I think I was a little bit surprised uh, that, that he drew the start. So Drew McDaniel was a sophomore last year, started 13 games, had a 6.08 ERA. Um, it just did not go well for him. And early on in the year, actually, I, I remember him pitching relatively well and, and thinking that he was you know doing good stuff. It just all kind of came apart towards the end of the season and even mid-season. Yeah, I, I like I said, nothing, 
So I love how you say this. This podcast is for those casual fans out there. I was like, well, I've kind of become one, Mister. You. <laughs> um. So I, I, obviously, we don't have time to go through the whole bullpen, but uh, just a couple of players to mention. Uh, first, before I before I mention names. Um, there's become this narrative in like every me- every piece of baseball media that I've consumed about Ole Miss baseball, which there is a ton of, and I would say like go to those other places to read stuff because like there are some people like Chase Parham, uh, Ben Garrett, I think that are like certainly plugged into the baseball program better, a ton better than I am, but you know better than many. Um, Brian Scott Rippey it, uh, puts out some good stuff in Rippey writes, um, but. There's become this narrative that like – and the coaches have reiterated this, that like the the staff is deeper and the bullpen is deep now, whereas last year, once the starters were out, there wasn't anywhere to go. Um, mm-hmm. But like is it? <laughs> because when, <laughs> when, when I look at it, it's like the same guys as last year kind of expected to just like suddenly be good. Um, and everybody wants to talk about like Brandon Johnson and Jack Doherty, who kind of like came up as important rotation or not rotation, but bullpen arms last season. But like Brandon Johnson's CRA was 4.7 and Jack Doherty's was 5.4. And I know that like there's more to pitching than an ERA and all that kind of stuff, but like stop the opposing offense from scoring runs, you know? Um, they do get Max Chiofi back who, uh, was just unfortunate. He only pitched two games last year because he tore his meniscus in one and tore his UCL in the other one. Uh, like, what are you going to do? But, like, other than that, it's Jack Washburn transferred in from Oregon State. He was expected to actually step in as a, as a potential weekend starter. He had a 3.12 ERA at Oregon State. Um, but he was a reliever there, and he's not a weekend starter now. That doesn't mean he can't be. And I imagine that he or Hunter Elliott, who's a freshman, uh, will get a chance to prove themselves midweek and vie for vie for starting roles on on the weekend. And I guess so that like having those in your back pocket as good bullpen arms is fine and everything. But like, I guess Wes Burton, uh, Wes Burton was good and is crazy. <laughs> so there's him. But I just don't what crazy. Don't know, like, what do you mean? I don't crazy how. He just, you know, he 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 says crazy things to himself to pump himself up. Oh, right this now. is okay. Yeah, okay, yeah, okay. Our our, our mound guy from the yes. Well, the, we had the guy, and then you don't remember Wes Burton's name. Yeah, I, do, I do remember now, now that you mentioned crazy. I'm like, oh yeah, the guy that was just jibber jabber and like throughout the entire duration of his time on the mound. Why can I have you join me on this podcast? Scott? <laughs> well, and then I'm trying. Who was it? Wasn't it who who had the reliever? Maybe it was State. He would flap his arms up like super wide, and then he would like come in and like he would he would hunch over like he was a vulture like 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 creating oh, yeah. his <laughs> wings in the sun <laughs> and then he'd come up um i just remember i think both west burden and that pitcher <clears throat> were like pitching at the same time at one point and it was just almost like a three-ring circus of like pitchers in, in between uh on the bump like pretty much anytime they were um between pitches the camera was on the pitcher and there was just like non-stop shenanigans happening on the mound and it was glorious uh-huh uh-huh 
Yeah, I, I I do look forward to as much possible trolling as as there can be. That, that's, <laughs> that's one of my favorite things about baseball season, like Peyton Chatagnier, you know, spiking the ball, or all those things are just so fun. Um, so there are a few other position players we haven't talked about. Um, Taiwan Malone. So what I would expect from him, and uh, this isn't backed up necessarily by people in the know, but I've heard rumblings, is that like if he gets a hold of it, he can really knock it out. Um, but adjusting to SEC pitching is hard, and especially when like you're a football player and you know in the fall you're mostly a football player. So he hasn't even had the chance to like – deal with our pitchers and figure out how to hit them and that sort of stuff. Um, but man, wouldn't it be so fun if he could just like get some hits? There's, there's going to be some, someone's going to come up with a very great sandwich related nickname for this man. And, um, I'm really, I'm here for it. I can't wait. Um, there's probably going to be some meatballs involved as my, is my initial guess, but heck it could be like a salami. I don't know. I'll leave that up to all the creative tweet people on Twitter that are much a more tweeter. better that are better than <laughs> better. Yeah. Tw- I've, me and Twitter have had a part, a little bit slight parting of ways of late just cause um, I ain't got time for all that stuff, but that's, uh-huh. I don't have time to make up sandwich related great names for someone named Taiwan Malone, who we want to, mm-hmm. you know, be a big boy and, and, you know, smack big balls over the, uh, over the fence. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know how much to expect him to play. I, I, maybe not much at all. <laughs> other than I do think that he will get an opportunity to, to hit in midweek and some of these conference out of conference games that are likely to get out of hand relatively early. And it'll be fun to see what he does. Um, other than him, uh, Kemp Alderman was someone that fans always wanted more, wanted to mm-hmm. see a lot, a lot last year, but like hit 125. So I can't really argue with the coach's decision to not, uh, not play him more. He had a big, he had a big. I'm trying to remember. He had a big at bat yeah. where he was a walk off maybe that he that he yeah, took he, he, ripped, he ripped, ripped his shirt. He ripped and he, he kind of ripped the or maybe his shirt got ripped off of him. Was that that was Kemp, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then Calvin Harris uh, was like a 200 hitter as a freshman last year. Um, you know, you always see potential for jumps from freshmen. And Reagan Burford, uh, I believe, was the only player who was really challenging to get into the the starting lineup at third base um he is uh, a, a player that they're really excited about so if you see him this weekend just remember reagan burford that that's a name that i that i said i'm not making any <laughs> any any uh projections about his his play or anything i just know that they like him um yeah so that's kind of the end of like the player portion I did want to talk about the stadium a little bit with you, like the stadium renderings from um, what's it called? Champions now, uh, which is that like larger scale Mm -hmm. giving program. Uh, And also the, the big white tent. So I know we, we talked about it, but like, (laughs) can you imagine paying a lot of money to sit behind the students? (laughs) Yeah. Like Like, you're, so if you have not sat out in left field or right, I mean, obviously, if you're, if you're a student listening to this, you've sat in right field, but the view is not great. I mean, it's it's fine, but like, 
it's I mean it's 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 a tough look, especially once you're you know said uh, umpteen whatever number of beverages in. Like it's tough to see and pay attention out there. And now and like you're telling me I got to pay extra to sit out there behind the students and. I don't know. Hopefully they pull it off. I mean, I know the Ole Miss, they've, they've got people smarter than me that are probably working that sort of promotional stuff. So, I don't know. We'll see how it goes. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Um, yeah, but but I will say the the renderings of what they want the stadium to look like, which is a $40 million renovation to the stadium, uh, those are – those are pretty good. <laughs> well, it's just I feel like, you know, if you look at Swayze Field, there is so much untapped space right. that they could that is so poorly utilized. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, <clears throat> obviously the parking lot behind the left field jumbotron is, you know, is ideal parking for 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 big um for big donors that are sitting in left field. Um, but I mean, you could easily scratch it to obviously make room for what looks like another set of premier seating. I am super excited about the idea of, of, um, moving the, moving the stands, moving the fans in the, in the, in the, in the the terrace seating up to the fence. I feel like that's been a, that's been a problem that we've, that space. Yes. It's severely lacking. So, that will be um, something that's awesome, and then you look at the um, the the first baseline. Looks like they're trying to create like a, a little you know like a, a little standing terrace out there that kind of connects to um, the first baseline out to the right field, which mm-hmm. yeah I think would be awesome. Um, I forget where I heard this, but I thought I could sworn I heard that they're looking to swap um, the student section to left field, and then the the traditional barbecue spots to right field. Um, that could be way off. If you know anything about that, you know, pop it in the so comments guess, section. Well, or sorry. Yeah. So one other thing I would add, uh, if you're listening to this on a podcast app or something, uh, we're going to paste the tweet in the body of the uh, post on redcuprebellion.com where you should go uh, to, to see what the renderings are. Um my concern with moving the student section, which I, I, I don't know, I, I haven't seen the same thing, but uh, is that then it would be in the stadium. Mm-hmm. And well, so, but this is, I mean, based on this, you're kind of connecting everything. At this point, you're connecting the entire stadium. I mean, this is because there's, there's going to be a look. If you look in the right field, right field, that terrace section does not. Okay. Feed into anything else. Mm-hmm. The only thing it feeds into is the indoor practice facility, which is not part of the stadium. Mm-hmm. So I wonder, I mean, maybe they will, but maybe they're ultimately going to enclose that and force students to pay and not bring coolers and all that kind of stuff. But I kind of doubt that that'll, that'll happen at least at first. And so, uh, yeah, I also like, man, it would suck to not have the students right next to the uh, opposing Oh, no, oh, I guess the opposing bullpen is uh, it's not like on, that, the, on yeah. left field anyway. Yeah, yeah, they swapped the bullpens and yeah. the dugouts when they. I guess they did yeah. that move when they um, were putting the other. Well, the current um, practice facility that's um, on, along the first baseline when they built that new building, they went ahead and switched the dugouts. So yeah, yeah. Well, I I think that no matter what, it it looks nice. I I don't know if like the. The practice facility may be boxing them in on that side a little more than they would want or maybe realize they might want later. But I don't know, like 
who knows what attendance at Ole Miss baseball will look like in 20 years, you know? Sure. Um, I think that in general it looks nice and continues to make the make the stadium look good. It's also cool. There's like a for left field. There's an entrance directly from that street, uh, so it's not like you have to like slope down and kind of go through a, a, an odd section to be able to get to the the left field area. You're kind of like right there, which is mm-hmm. nice. Yeah, I'm, well, I'm, I'm excited about it. I, I'll be interested to see. Um, I guess because I don't know, it doesn't seem like there's actually that much space available in left field. Like if you consider, I mean, because mm-hmm. the, the band practice field, which will hopefully also be getting renovated and new here shortly. I mean, I think the space is going to be at a at a premium if you're backing up to the band practice field. It doesn't seem like they're really a, a, account accommodating and accounting for that in these pictures. Well, wait, so. isn't the isn't the band practice field sort of like behind the um blue wall? Yes, it is. Um, so I guess this building in the far distance here, I guess that's what is, that's the one. Well, it was um, – it's the music building, obviously. Uh, yeah. I think it's just called the music building now because um, a certain attorney's name was smitten from it after uh-huh. some sc- <laughs> scandals. Uh-huh. Um, uh, anyway, but yeah, I'm excited for the season. Um, you know, I'll be out there. And um, it'll be it'll be a nice transition moving from from left field to the sands and trying to hurt, uh, wrangle my kids away from the playground. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> All right, man. Well, thanks so much for joining, uh, and thanks everybody for listening. Hope you have a lot of fun. Uh, throw some brats on the grill or something, and just kind of get ready for SEC baseball. Let's go. Throw it in the dirt. <laughs>